See, mankind has a head knowledge of God uh, because he is created in the image of God and because the law of God is written on the hearts of all people. But they do not honor God and give thanks to him. And I'd like to read out of the book of Romans chapter 1 because as we think about everything that is going on in our country, I think that this helps us understand a little bit better why it's going on. Uh, and we need to be reminded because of, of who we are in Christ Jesus. In Romans chapter 1, starting in verse 18, it says this, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. So in other words, God has shown man who he is. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world and the things that have been made, so that they are without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. And because this is the case, because man continues to suppress the truth, listen to what God has done. Verse 28 of that same chapter 1, it says, And since they did not seem fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice. They were full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They are gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. Does that sound familiar? Uh, it is exactly what is happening in our world because of man suppressing the truth about who God is and who they are before that God. See, the thing is, no amount of peaceful protesting will deal with the root problem. No amount of looting or rioting will deal with the root problem. No amount of government intervention will deal with the root problem. And the thing is, we all have a share in this sin problem, and we know that. Because it is who we were before Christ Jesus. Listen to what it says in Ephesians chapter 2. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins. You, me, those who put their faith and trust in Jesus were once dead. In which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. And we have seen that exhibited and is rampant through our nation even today. Among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God, I love that connector right there, but God, being rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together in Christ, by grace you have been saved, and raised up with him, and seated with or seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. And why for what purpose? So that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and the kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. Because the truth is the world needs to see Jesus Christ for who he is the sinless Son of God, who came to seek and to save the lost. For by grace you have been saved through faith, it is not of yourselves, it is a gift of God, not a result of work so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. See, it is only faith in Jesus Christ that can break down the dividing wall of sin. And we've experienced that because we are no longer alienated, we are no longer enemies of God, but we are sons and daughters of God because of the power of the gospel, because of the power of the Son of God, who is not in the grave but is alive forevermore. You see, the same Jesus is the only Jesus who can remove the sinful inclinations and the sinful endeavors of man toward God first, but also his fellow man. Only Jesus can give us the ability to have a right relationship with God. 
but also help us to build right relationship with others, putting our others' interests above our own. See, this is why we, and we, we can say that we're Ellington Baptist Church, this is why we, as the New Testament Church, as part of the, the church, as part of the Bride of Christ, as those who have been redeemed, need to be, as we've learned in the Sermon on the Mount, the salt of the earth, as well as the light of the world. That's why in Matthew chapter 5, verse 16, it says, In the same way, let your light shine before others, so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. This is what our mission is as the church, is to stand on the truth of who Jesus Christ is, because only Jesus can change the hearts of men. Not only for eternity, but how we engage and how we relate to one another. And so as we see this continual uh, working out of sinful lifestyles, sinful inclinations, sinful endeavors, it is a call for us as the church to continue to be that salt and light, because the world needs to see, because they need to experience what we've experienced as those who have been redeemed. And that is what is going to change the world. And so may that be an encouragement to each and every one of you as you try to wrap your mind around everything that's going on. There is a reason why it's going on. The Bible speaks very clearly to it. And as those who have been freed from that, who have been rescued from that, who have been saved from that, we have exactly what the world needs. And so may we live as those uh, who are ready to give an account for the hope that we have in Jesus Christ. With that, uh, we'll begin our time of worship as the worship team comes and uh, leads us.
you have your Bibles this morning, go ahead and open up to Matthew chapter 6. I want to say Matthew chapter 5, that's not right. Matthew chapter 6, as we um, finish out this uh, four-part uh, section uh, that I've entitled, Do Not Be Anxious. And uh, before we actually uh, open up the Word of God together, let's go ahead and bow for a word of prayer. Gracious Heavenly Father, uh, we are thankful that you are perfect in all of your ways. Uh, as we've just got done singing about you being our good, good Father, uh, that is the truth. Uh, and nothing can change that, because that's who you are. Uh, and Lord, we do thank you that we can gather here this morning, uh, both in the church building as well as, as over the internet. Uh, Lord, we ask that you would just use this time to challenge us in our thinking, that you would motivate us uh, to apply it. Uh, so that we may enjoy uh, having uh, victory over uh, the things that uh, cause us anxiety and fear and worry, uh, and that it would change us uh, for the better, which we know it will do as we apply your word to our lives. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, you know, over the last uh, three weeks, we've taken a look at eight sayings eight things that Jesus spoke to in relation to anxiety. And I would just like to review them in rapid order, uh, just in case this is your first time uh, joining us. Uh, and this is important for us to understand, is that God wants us to have victory over uh, anxiety, over worry. Uh, and right now in our country, uh, there's a lot of things that can cause us to be anxious, cause us to worry to not know what to do, how to act. Uh, and so we need to remember uh, and see that this is not a mistake. Jesus didn't just all of a sudden decide to run on and on about a subject that does not matter. He took the time to speak uh, this way because he knows who we are. As our good, good father, uh, he knows that we struggle with being anxious. Uh, because the fact is, we don't know everything, and that causes anxious thoughts. We don't control everything, and that causes us to worry. Uh, and as we take a look at everything that's going on around us, trying to ascertain how we should act, what we should do, how we should engage, how we should engage, uh, that causes worry in and of itself. And all these things come down together to cause a, a great deal of stress uh, in our lives. And Jesus does not want us to have to deal with that stress. He wants us to exercise faith in Him. Not only for salvation, which He is the only way, but also in living the Christian life. To live the life that He has called us to live. Knowing full well that because of His name, we will be persecuted. And we will face things that are going to be contrary to what the world holds dear. Uh, and as a result, he, he put forth these eight things, and I remind you of them, of why you should never be anxious. Maybe I'm going to share with you. I'm going to need somebody to click, but I think my batteries are dead. <laughs> All right, so the first one there is in Matthew chapter 6, verse 25. We should not be anxious because God, who is our master, most assuredly provides. We can never forget that God is Jehovah Jireh. And he will provide everything we need when we need it. And what Jesus is actually saying here, and we'll go to the next slide, is that when we worry, we miss the fact that our God always, without exception, provides everything that we need. The second one comes out of verse 26. Uh, and you should not be anxious because God values you. We need to remember who we are. We are those who are redeemed. We are a royal priesthood. Uh, because of our faith in Jesus Christ. We are no longer alone. We are no longer enemies of God. And so, therefore, we have a value that goes even beyond this life to the life that is beyond, which is eternal life through Jesus Christ. And what Jesus is trying to put forth here in uh, this verse is that when we worry, we hold in low esteem our value. We forget who we are. And we need to remember that always. The third uh, reason why we should not be anxious is because anxiety is counterproductive. It does cause adverse effects upon us physically, uh, but it also does not help us to be able to engage and to, to be 
uh, productive in living the Christian life. Uh, and what Jesus was putting forth here in this verse is that when we worry, we forget that God controls all of life. That our days are numbered, and He knows, as He is the God who provides all of what we need, when we need it, for how long we need it. Uh, and so we never should forget that God controls our life. Our next point uh, comes out of verse, uh, uh, actually verses 28, 29, and 30. Uh, we should not be anxious because you are God's eternal child. Because this is not the end all of all things. You know, we don't just live and die and that's it. Uh, we are eternal children. We have been saved um, by faith uh, through the grace of God, through Jesus Christ, for eternal life. Uh, and what Jesus is putting forth in this verse uh, as the fourth point is when we were, we overlook the fact that we are eternal beings. That everything that we are working through here on this earth is only temporary. Uh, and this life is only temporary. But we are looking forward to that eternal home where everything will be as it should be. It will be perfect because we'll be in the presence of the God who made us and in the presence of the Savior who loved us enough to give his life and in the presence of the Holy Spirit who continues to let us know that we are children of God. The fifth point, or fourth, fifth reason why you should not be anxious is because anxiety is of this world and we see it all around us. Just turn on the television, uh, read a newspaper clipping, uh, look at social media, you will find very quickly that this world is very anxious. Uh, and they respond accordingly. They respond according to their nature, which we read about earlier uh, in the book of Romans. That they suppress the truth in unrighteousness, uh, and therefore they act uh, because God has given them over to do things which should not be done. Uh, and so Jesus is reminding us here in uh, this fifth point, that when we worry, uh, we are no different than the world around us. Uh, and so uh, we shouldn't worry. We should be different because we've been saved. Because we understand and we see things from an eternal perspective and not from just the temporal. Uh, point number six uh, comes out of verse 32 b that we should not be anxious because your Heavenly Father knows what you need. Uh, and there's a difference in, in knowing uh, what you need, but also in supplying what you need. Uh, and Jesus made it very clear that when we worry, we forget that God knows everything, that he is all-knowing. Uh, and not only is he all-knowing, but he is everywhere present to give us what we need when we need it, but also all-powerful to give us what we need so that we never lack. Point number seven, uh, was the came out of verse 33, do not be anxious because God's kingdom matters more. Uh, and again, for us to understand and see things from a kingdom perspective as opposed to from what I think I need or what I want at any given moment. To understand that Jesus is putting out that when we worry, we are seeking the wrong kingdom. Because we are allowing the world to dictate to us how we act and how we respond. And then finally, point eight was, do not be anxious because God's got tomorrow. And this should be one that the world never understands because they tell you to live for today because you, you don't, you're not guaranteed tomorrow. Seize the day, seize the opportunity. But you know what? As believers in Jesus Christ, even if, if tomorrow means I'm in the presence of God for all of eternity, God's got it. And it should be a comfort to me, and it should be a comfort to you as well to know that God has you and he has tomorrow because he is the God of all time. He is the God who is in eternity, uh, and He is the one who is watching over us, even in the things that we cannot see. So that was the, the foundation. That was three weeks' worth of uh, information. Eight things that Jesus wanted us to understand a little bit more clearly so that we would not be overcome by anxiety. But you may be sitting here today and saying, oh, I guess that was the point. So you may be sitting here and, uh, saying that you know, there is no way possible to overcome the anxiety because I deal with these thoughts each and every day. From the moment I wake up to the moment I go to bed at night, I wake up out of dreams at night because I'm dreaming about the things that I have to deal with. You don't understand the stress that I'm facing, Pastor Bill. There's no possible way that I can overcome this anxiety. You ever said that before? Maybe take out the Pastor Bill part. 
You know, how many times have you woken up in the middle of the night? How many times have you gotten up in the morning and all of a sudden realized that you're just overwhelmed by everything that has to happen? And you're, you're pulling from, you're, you're being pulled here, there, and everywhere. And, and the anxiety level is literally through the roof of the house. You know, and the thing is, is that's exactly what Satan wants you to believe. He wants you to believe that there is no possible way. But you have to remember that we are speaking to the God of the impossible. It's not impossible for God. And Jesus made that very clear. It's all a matter of us putting our faith and trust in the one who can give us the ability to overcome every ounce, every nuance, every little thing, and every big thing, no matter the size. And remember that you're not in this alone. You know, and, and I realize every time you turn on the news, it's easy to get anxious. I mean, there's rioting happening all over our country. People that are, are acting out of that selfish nature that we, we spoke about earlier in the service. How do you engage that? How do you respond to that? What do I do in relation to helping my family? You know, all those thoughts start coming into you, your mind. And the thing is, is that that's exactly how Satan works. He uses all the turmoil, he uses all of the rebellion, he uses all of the, the, the ability to tempt everyone in every way, shape, or form, just like he tried to tempt Jesus Christ in the wilderness. But you have to remember that each and every one of us, whether we're saved or not, make a conscious choice to do or not to do. And the thing is, as believers in Jesus Christ, we are defined differently because our eyes have been opened. We are no longer slaves to that particular kind of lifestyle. To, to do that which is sinful. And you remember at the very beginning of our series, we talked about the word anxious being in the active voice. And it means in the Greek that this person is being commanded to not be anxious, a person who is already anxious. So Jesus is not just speaking, well, if this happens to you, he is speaking to the crowd knowing full well that they are anxious. You know, and think about it. Here they are hearing things that the religious leaders of their day or had been misleading them, that they had not been telling them the truth. And here is Jesus coming on the scene and completely turning the world upside down. Well, what do I do with that? My, my, my whole basis of my, my religious, you know, convictions, my, my whole existence is being turned upside down because Jesus is saying that all these religious leaders are misleading us. Do you think that calls anxious thoughts? Absolutely. The call here is to stop worrying and to do, do not go there again. And listen to me when I tell you this. God will not, God will not command you to do something that he is unwilling or unable to accomplish. Did you catch that? So this command to do not be anxious is not a, a futile command. It is not an unachievable command. The question is, are you willing to trust God and to, to tap into his power to be able to overcome, to do what is necessary to say no to that temptation to worry or to get anxious or to fret over things that may or may never happen? See, God, through the Holy Spirit, who is our permanent guide, teacher, seal of salvation, and comforter for all believers, will achieve the end goal of victory over anxiety. That's why he left the Spirit behind for us to experience and to know first that we're children of God, but also to know that we have within us the very power of God to overcome when we trust in him. Well, I told you that I was going to give you ways that you can overcome anxiety, because it is difficult, and I can guarantee you, I don't have anybody raise their hand, that each and every one of you experience some sort of anxiety. Maybe you're anxious right now. You can have victory over that. You can overcome that through the power of God in you. And I told you we we're going to look at three phrases in three. I guess it's three. <laughs> three phrases um, in this section of, of verses. Um, the first one is going to be there right in verse 26 of chapter six. Um, I want you to take note of the two words in there: heavenly Father. 
Heavenly Father. Okay, these are very important words for us to, to, to understand and to embrace, to know who our Heavenly Father is and what our Heavenly Father does. Because this is going to make the difference. Because the moment that you step over into anxiety, into worry, into fret, remember, you are forgetting some aspect of who God is and what God can do. And that's the key, right there. That's the faith, to say, you know what, yes, God can. Yes, God will. Because that is who God is. Well, the first thing I want you to see in relation to our God is that He is good. We just got done singing about it. It was one of those things where it's never a coincidence the music gets picked out because I had this sermon done before they picked out the songs for this Sunday. I didn't even tell them. And here it was some good, good father. Okay? That's not a coincidence because it's, it's, it's the truth. He is our good, good father. And God is the one who is good alone. Remember when Jesus was talking to the rich young ruler in Luke chapter 18, verse 19. Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. So when you look out across the world, there is no one good except God alone. He is the only one. And that's why we need the Savior. That is why Jesus had to come to earth, because we needed the very righteousness of God to be as good as God is, because God is good. And not only is he good, the only one who is good, he is good to all generations. Psalm 100 verse 5 says, For the Lord is good, his steadfast love endures forever, and his faithfulness to all generations. So guess what? God's good today. He didn't stop being good. He is good today, he is good tomorrow. He is good for eternity because God is good. And so he is good to our generation. But third, God invites us to seek Him. Psalm 34, verses 8 and 9 says, Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in Him. Oh, fear the Lord, you His saints, for those who fear Him have no lack. So, in other words, when we honor God, when we see God for who He truly is, then guess what? You're not going to lack anything, which includes the ability to overcome anxiety. Taste and see that the Lord is good. See, we need to remember that our God is always good, and when we honor Him as such, we will lack nothing. That's what you need to embrace about your Heavenly Father. But that's not just the only thing. The second thing is that He's faithful. Consider Psalm 119, verses 89 and 90. Forever, O Lord, your word is firmly fixed in the heavens. Your faithfulness endures to all generations. You have established the earth, and it stands fast. This is our Heavenly Father, the one who is faithful to all generations. So he is faithful to us. He is faithful to those who his son's blood bought and paid for. Second, because God is faithful, we have hope. Consider Lamentations chapter 3, verses 22 through 24. It says, The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I will hope in him. Did you see? catch that? Great is his faithfulness. The Lord is my portion. So when you find yourself stepping over temptation and embracing worry and fretting uh, and anxiety, you're forgetting and not taking the Lord as your portion. There is unrest, as it were, in your being because you are forgetting your faithful God. The one who you hope in, as it says there in Lamentations 3.24. See, we need to remember... Whatever we may be facing, God will faithfully lead us through. He will not abandon us. He will not leave us to our own devices as he has done to those who are dead in their trespasses and sins because we belong to God. 
and he is going to faithfully lead us through everything here on earth and faithfully lead us home. So not only is our Heavenly Father good, he is faithful, but he is also loving. Something that uh, the world wants God to be all the time and nothing else. You know, my God is a God of love. Well, he is love. Uh, that's one of his attributes. But we need to, as believers in Jesus Christ, to remember as we are facing uh, the temptation uh, to uh, step into anxiety that our Heavenly Father is loving. Romans 5.8, but God shows his love for us that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. We see God's love in Jesus Christ. We see God's love in Jesus as he shows his love for the Father. And doing what the Father commanded him to do. John 14, 31 says, But I do as the Father has commanded me, so that the world may know that I love the Father, and therefore loving us, because he was obedient to the point of death on a cross. See, we need to obey the command, do not be anxious, realizing that God, in commanding us, is willing and able to help us accomplish that goal of not being anxious over anything, no matter how big or how small. And finally, he is trustworthy. And again, this is not an exhaustive list of the Heavenly Father, but I thought these four would speak to what we're talking about. See, God does wonderful things that are faithful and sure. The prophet Isaiah, in chapter 25, verse 1 says, O Lord, you are my God. I will exalt you. I will praise your name. For you have done wonderful things, plans formed of old, faithful, and sure. See, God can be trusted. The world cannot. Your emotions cannot. But you can always trust God to be faithful and sure, to execute those plans, to be true to who He is, so that we can trust Him unreservedly, knowing that he will never let us down. And know, too, as we read in the book of Numbers, chapter 23, verse 19, that God always keeps his word. God is not man that he should lie, or the son of man that he should change his mind. He said it, and will he not do it? It's a rhetorical question. If God said it, God's going to do it. Or has he spoken, and will he not fulfill it? Again, another rhetorical question. If God has spoken it, he will fulfill it. So if he says, do not be anxious, because he is willing and able to help you overcome that anxiousness, guess what? He is going to deliver. He is not going to come up short. He is not going to be asleep. And he is not like the idols of, of the world that are dead. He is alive. He is attentive. He is everywhere knowing what we need when we need it. See, we need to trust God with everything pertaining to this life, just like we trust Him in relation to our salvation and the promise of eternal life. God's got us. He's not going to let us go. He is the one who is good. He is the one who is faithful. He is the one who is loving. He is the one who is trustworthy. So I want you to do this. Whether you're here in the sanctuary or at home listening over the internet, I want you to say this with me. And hopefully you can say this. Because first and foremost, we're assuming that you belong to, uh, to God the Lord Jesus Christ. But sometimes we see things, we know things up here, just like the world knows that there is a God, but they suppress that truth. Sometimes we need to hear what we're saying in order to reinforce what we know up here to bring it down to here. So say with me, my God is good. My God is good. My God is faithful. My God is loving. My God is trustworthy. That's what you need to remind yourself every time you find yourself at that moment. Because this is your Heavenly Father. Don't forget it. Remember that the Holy Spirit is right there with you. 
He's not asleep. He is right there, ready and able and willing to deliver you. So, Heavenly Father, in verse 26, the two things, there are two words that you need to remember that are, uh, are literally life changers. The second is in verse 30 of chapter 6. The two words, little faith. Little faith. It took me a long time to find this little graphic here with the thumb and the little tiny Bible. But the thing is, is that's exactly what happens when we doubt. Is that our faith becomes small. Because we're not believing what is true about God. So the first thing I want you to do in relation to little faith is stop doubting. Stop doubting. Do not approach your battle with anxiety from a pessimistic point of view. And I am practicing what I preach because my wife will concur that oftentimes I'm pessimistic. I always tell her that I just look at it half empty, whereas she looks at it as half full. But the truth is that if you are pessimistic, if you are doubting, if you are putting yourself in a position to doubt what is true about God, then guess what? It is going to directly affect your battle with anxiety. Do not welcome the anxieties back. Because you know what? They're going to come. I guarantee it. They may be shaped a little bit differently. They may be uh, at a different time in your life. But the fact is, is that the opportunity to become anxious and to fret and to worry is going to come and be a temptation practically, if not every day of your life. Jesus knew that. That's why he gave you eight reasons not to be anxious. The remedy for doubt is faith. Romans 10, 17, so faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. We put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ for eternal salvation. Don't doubt God's ability to help you and to guide you and to lead you through everything you face in this life. He is right there with us in the thick of everything. Do not let the enemy on our side of the battlefield. Doubt is letting our enemy on our side of the battlefield. If you know any type of battlefield strategy, you know it's not good for the enemy to be behind your lines. Because they can cause division, they can cause all kinds of misleading things to happen. They can hurt people on your side. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 4 and 5 says, For the weapons of our warfare are not of flesh, but have a divine power to destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ. You need to take your thoughts captive by the very power of God to destroy any argument for stepping into worry and anxiety. Realizing that the weapons of our warfare are not our emotions, are not the people around us, but it's God himself. He is the one who can give you victory over it. So don't let the enemy on our side of the battlefield. And third, break the cycle of, uh, by giving the anxiety we carry over to the Lord. Give it to him. He wants you to give it to, to him. Like I said, He's not commanding you to do something he's unwilling and unable to do. Instead, he gives you the very ability to do what you need to do because you have the very Holy Spirit living inside of you. Doubt is a tool of Satan to lack confidence in God's power and in God's word. And that's where we should never go. Knowing full well, it tells us in 1 John chapter 3, verse 8b, that the reason that the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. Which includes doubt. Which includes becoming anxious. Which includes everything that is a lie about who God is and who you are. Jesus came to destroy that, and he did destroy it. So do not give him a victory by giving over to anxiety. Instead of doubting, start believing. Let me read to you a quote from A.W. Tozer. 
He says, when I understand that everything happening to me is to make me more Christ-like, it resolves a great deal of anxiety. You know what? Temptations are going to come. And trials are going to come. The question is, is how you respond to both. If you see it as God, through the power of the Holy Spirit in you, because you belong to Him, because of His Son, Jesus Christ, you know, paying for you in full to make you a son or a daughter of God. All of this in preparation for us to spend eternity with our Heavenly Father, who is good, who is loving, who is faithful, who is trustworthy, throughout all generations, that He's preparing us to meet Him. And He's not preparing us to meet Him by causing us to give in to anxiety or fear or doubt, because those are all tools of our enemy. Isaiah chapter 41, verse 10 says, Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you, I will help you, I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. That is our Heavenly Father. He tells you, don't fear, don't give in to it, because I, the one who is the I am, is going to do what he says he's going to do. So he says, I will strengthen you, I will help you, I will uphold you. Guess what? Was that a spoken word? Yes, it is. And so the answer to the rhetorical question, will he do it? Yes, he will. Philippians chapter 4, verses 6 and 7 says, Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Because where does doubt start? Right here. Where does anxiety and worry and fret start? Right here, in the brain. And he says, don't be anxious about anything. But instead, go to God and give it to him in prayer, knowing that the peace of God, which you have not only for salvation, but the peace of God that can guard you in a world that is full of turmoil, that's full of rioting and voiding, that's full of viruses, that's full of all kinds of unknown things, Knowing that that peace that surpass all of your understanding about all of it. Because do I understand all of it? Well, to some extent, I understand part of it. We spoke to that this morning. It is, you know, uh, indicative of man devoid of God. But God will guard your heart and your mind. He will help you keep your thoughts captive and keep you from going where you should not. So, Heavenly Father, little faith and finally seek first. Seek first. And we took a look at this at more length earlier. And I just want you to think about those words. See, worry represents everything we are still holding onto with clenched fists that has nothing to do with God's kingdom and His righteousness. Nothing. It has everything to do with the world that is sinful and fallen and, and it is in rebellion against God. So seek first. Keep your priorities straight when it comes to facing anything you're going to face. Keep a kingdom mindset. Know your battle plan. When those anxious thoughts rush into your mind. And here's the key. Keeping your priorities straight, knowing your battle plan, ask God to give you the ability to execute your battle plan. To, to show himself as the faithful God who loves you for the purpose of not becoming anxious. That loves you so that you would not doubt. And, and I close with this example. We're not going to take even look at the text. But you remember Joshua? In the Old Testament, you know, Joshua did the battle of Jericho. I'm not going to say any farther than that. It sounded okay. <laughs> what did Joshua do from a battle standpoint? Did it make any sense to do what he did? 
Absolutely not. If man looked at it and said, oh, shit, that's not going to win the battle. It ain't going to be good all down. But he did it God's way. And he was victorious. Those walls came tumbling down. And that's what you need to understand. You've got to do it God's way. If he commands you to do not be anxious, he's not going to command you to fail. Instead, he's going to command you to have the opportunity to put your faith and trust in him to overcome what he is commanding you to do. You can have victory over anxiety. You can have victory over worry. You can have victory over fretting. You can have victory over stress. Whatever it is, we're looking at this particular subject matter, but God can give you the victory when you trust him, when you put your faith in him. And so remember, when you're facing that battle, remember Joshua. Remember the walls of Jericho, which protected all the people inside. But when Joshua did it God's way and obeyed God, look what the result was. Exactly what God did in pulling down those walls, that obstacle to the children of Israel coming into the promised land. God will do it. You just need to believe it. Would you bow with me for a closing word of prayer? Gracious Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you for uh, this amazing section of the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, Lord, I thank you that you know us so well. And Lord, I ask that through your Spirit you would give us the ability to be victorious, to not give in, to not give up, but instead to trust you undeservedly, knowing that you will be faithful, that what you command us to do, that you will give us the ability to obey, and that even when things seem insurmountable, when the walls seem so tall, so impenetrable, when we do it your way, you can do the impossible. And Lord, we just ask for your your strength and your guidance to do that very thing today. Lord, we ask that you would help us as we look at our world as it is today. And we see sin is rampant everywhere. Help us to be salt and light so that you may get the glory. We pray all these things in Jesus' name.